0: Are you ready to take your leadership skills to the next level? Do you want to lead with confidence, inspire your team, and achieve your career goals? I'm excited to announce Lead Intuit is now offering leadership coaching. Picture this, 60 minutes of focused one-on-one coaching that will transform the way you lead. Whether you're a seasoned executive or just starting out on your leadership journey, Lead Intuit has the expertise and guidance to help unleash everyone's full leadership potential. With one-on-one coaching with me, you'll develop powerful leadership strategies, enhance your communication skills, build a high-performing team, and achieve your career aspirations. The website leadintoit.co is your gateway for us to work together and create a tailored coaching plan to fit your needs and goals. So don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to supercharge your leadership skills. Visit leadintoit.co, that's leadintoit.co today. You're listening to episode 30 of the Lead Into It podcast. I'm Sarah Greco and I have over 10 years of experience in various roles and industries. During this time, I learned just how crucial leadership is as both an employee and a leader myself. This has led me on a mission to inspire and provide resources for those who have a desire to be a leader in both their career and their lives. The lead into a podcast is designed to help you learn how to be a leader with advice, tools, tips, and inspiration from people with all different types of backgrounds. Let's get started. When you think about becoming a leader, you end up thinking about the amount of work as well as the stress that accompanies the role, the title, everything with it. Well, what if there was a way to alleviate some of that stress within a leadership role or even your current role? Rhonda Williams is a dynamic speaker, author, coach, and what she calls a recovering stressed out leader, our soul. With her nearly two decades of leadership experience to include senior executive roles such as chief nursing officer and chief executive officer, Rhonda experienced firsthand the trauma that accepting life of overwhelming stress can have. So during our conversation, we dive into Rhonda's personal experience with stress as a leader and her simple technique to reduce stress while in those leadership roles. It's a great episode. Definitely take notes and I hope you enjoy. Okay, Rhonda, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to talk and learn from you. How are you doing today? I'm
1: doing really well, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I loved The way that you reached out to me on LinkedIn, by the way, I love podcasting just in general because I get to meet so many interesting people like yourself and Mm -hmm. you reached out on LinkedIn and you brought up such a valuable topic. So I'm excited to dive into it. Before we go ahead and get started, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and who you are?
1: Sure. So um, I am, gosh, it's always a hard question, right? It is. It's the hardest question
0: of the entire interview.
1: It is, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think I am at, um, at my core, a leader. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's sort of how I will always see myself. I am also um, a coach and um, that's part of my core gifts and my core passion that I think I am here um, on this earth to uh, serve. I'm also a registered nurse and, you know, I've done lots of amazing things in my career. Uh, everything from, you know, sort of having bedside care and caring for patients uh, in that time of need to being an executive role as a chief nursing officer, a hospital CEO, and, uh, and then moved on to do several other things in my career, including my work that I do now, which is executive coaching and, you know, really helping leaders uh, position themselves from a stress standpoint and from a career standpoint.
0: That's awesome. Wow, that's a diverse experience so what led you from kind of a career field it sounds like uh healthcare to now leadership coaching and that leadership realm
1: yeah so it was a really interesting path for me and probably like not like many others um or like many others, I probably did not take the straightest path. You know, <laughs> it was a little bit curvy and windy, and and which was fun. And you get to learn along the way, sometimes painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was a uh, a staff nurse and sort of working at the bedside and doing that for a while. And it was right at the time when we were moving into Y2K. Computers were just sort of kind of getting big in healthcare. I love and- that you called it
0: Y2K, by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know, right? It was just kind of the craziest yeah. thing. I still remember us standing all at the hospital waiting to see if all of our systems were going to go out. And-
0: <laughs> it was so what a crazy memory.
1: Oh my goodness, that's where I spent my New Year's Eve, right? So instead Mm -hmm. of being home, happy New Year's family. Nope, we were there all panicked, like, oh my God, (laughs) is it after midnight yet? Oh, everything was fine. So (laughs) it was really interesting, but I, I went from that to really kind of building my career and being this person who was really curious and uh, working in that for a while and still working the best side. And I remember just sort of wanting to do some things differently. So I stepped over into that IT space and became sort of a clinical um, IT person and helping our team and our staff and did that for a while. And I actually left that organization. I had been working there for some years. I left and moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and, and I moved to work at our corporate office. And I became a liaison between our corporate office and the 82 hospitals in the field. Oh, wow. And I remember receiving a call from a friend uh, back at the original hospital, which was in San Antonio, and she said, "You know, hey, the chief nursing officer position is open." And I said, "Why are you telling me? I am <laughs> in Louisville, Kentucky now. Like I just left there, so good luck with that." And she's like, "No, I think you'd be great." We had a great laugh about it, and um, and I went home and I said to my family, "Oh, ha ha ha! I just got this call today. It was hilarious." And the family all said, "Let's move!" And I was like, Aww. oh, we just got here. Like literally, we've barely been here a year. And so it was just this huge shock to me. I was like, I wasn't expecting that. I thought it was just going to be a big family joke. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it turned into a snowball rolling down the hill, right? Really fast, picking up steam. And uh, I, I went back and, and the family said, we really want to move back. We don't like it here. And uh, so I went back and I took the chief nursing officer. Well, didn't take. I interviewed for it and, um, and got the, uh, the position. And so that started my executive career. So I did that for some years and then moved into, um, got another promotion as a hospital CEO and did that work for a while, which was just amazing uh, before I really, my career sort of hit a wall. Wow. I don't know if you want me to share the story. Yes, I'd
0: lo- I'd love to hear about it.
1: It was a kind of a brick wall.
0: <laughs> and it so, wasn't just a wall, it was a brick wall.
1: It was a brick wall. In fact, I can still see the wall now. It it was um and so I was at, you know, in this role performing this work and we ended up with a public relations nightmare on our hands mm-hmm. where um there was an accusation that Um, an immigrant lady had taken down the American flag and, quote, disrespected it. Well, Mm -hmm. it became a whole news media story, and this whole big firestorm received national attention, and um, long story short, you know, just sort of being at that level in an organization where you realize you're one of the most visible, but you're also mm-hmm. one of the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And um, and as they decided and we got everything settled, which, by the way, took months. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it was really pretty um, surreal to be in that position. Um, after having a really stellar career and, you know, really just working my way up, um, they decided to make a change and I ended up losing my job after mm-hmm.
0: that. Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and that was tough because at that point I had been at that organization nearly, um, I think almost 18 years
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and I had to sort of, it was a little bit off balancing. And so I had to try to regain myself. Well, um, at, so- shortly after that, I realized that the man I was married to for 25 years, I didn't need to be married to him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had these two major life crises moments that sort of hit me all at once, and um, and I have to tell you, Sarah, it was it was pretty devastating, and um, and I really had to like figure my life out after that. that
0: that's a lot.
1: <laughs> it is, yeah. And in a short period of time together, so it was um, it was definitely uh, challenging, and I had to figure out who I was after that. And I had to figure not only who I was, but where I was going
0: next. That's wow! That is a crazy story. So then, you had to figure out where you wanted to go. Well, how did you figure that out?
1: Well, I did a little bit of soul searching, and as I was in um, drowning myself in my glass of wine. (laughs) Right. As I'm drowning myself, um, I really started to have some conversations with myself uh, and say, you know, number one, how long are you going to, you know, wallow in this? And things happen in life all the time and you're not the first one and you won't be the last one. And so I'm sort of taking myself through this process to try to help myself emerge. And then I also started asking myself some questions. So you were on this career path What did you really love about that? What did you not love about it? Um, and, And try to get to the source of what I wanted. Well, it was pretty amazing because what I realized at that moment is that I was actually climbing the ladder, not because I wanted titles, but because it was allowing me to do something that I really felt called to do, which is help leaders. Mm -hmm. I I had an opportunity, the higher I went, um, it gave me more opportunity to work with a team in a different way, to be more impactful, uh, to have a bigger span of influence. And that was what I loved in the work that I was doing. And I hated budget and hated the other stuff. (laughs) For those that actually like
0: those, you're impressive.
1: (laughs) You know, when I figured that part out, I was like, oh, wow. And really, when it sort of came to me in sort of this evolving process, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I think I get it, right? I think I understand who I am. And it started feeling really good. It started feeling like, okay, imagine yourself really helping leaders in a very, very different way without this sort of dynamic that you're in right now. And um, and I really sort of in, enjoyed that. So I took that moment to recreate myself from the top to the bottom. And, um, and when I say recreate myself, it was, everything. I lost 50 pounds. I changed my hair and I went back to my natural hairstyles. Um, I moved, I sold everything in my house because I didn't want any of the old memories, like literally everything. Mm-hmm. I had a big, you know, Craigslist sale. I was <laughs> like, come <laughs> get it, come get rid of it. And uh, I wrote my first book. Um, I launched a business. I started a coaching business or a coaching consulting business and started a natural skincare product line, which I have since devolved. Um, I I did it for about 10 years, Um, but I literally changed everything about me. And um, that really got me started on this road where I know that my purpose and my calling um, is to help leaders. And I want to just share one thing for women who might be going through a similar situation and just wondering, who am I? How do I get through this? One of the things that was helpful for me in my first book, Uh, which was, you know, I don't know how good it was. I didn't, I never even wanted to write. I just did it because it was cathartic. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people were asking me how I was starting to move through this so quickly. And I realized that it was, I was calling on skills that not everyone had. And so I wrote the book. In the book, one of the things I write about is how do you get yourself through this? Well, one of the things I did was I developed an anthem. And uh, I I developed this anthem and just sort of found a song that was really resonating with me at that moment. And when I found myself in those moments where I would get low, I would put on that song and it was sort of, you know, it was upbeat and would kind of get me going. And the song that I chose had to do with me just, uh, you know, it was similar to the name of my book. So the first book I wrote was called, Are You Out of Your Blank Mind? Mm-hmm. I like it. it. (laughs) And you get to fill in the blank, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's are you out of your blank mind? And in that book was, you know, this, uh, I wrote about this anthem and how it helped me. And, you know, it was really about sort of shedding the need to be drawn back to my ex and to lean on those old places and old comfortable ways. And it really helped me move forward.
0: Mm -hmm. Is this anthem a song? It is. It's a
1: song by Fantasia. Okay. And it's yes. Do, it's called "Doing Me."
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, and and it was really kind of my my
0: girl power song, and <laughs> <it really laughs> helped me get through those moments. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I loved hearing all of it because it's. Interesting how you were able to reach CEO position, which is what a lot of women people strive for, and then had to figure out your life past that too. Mm-hmm. So good on you for doing all of that, accomplishing as much as you did, but still figuring out who you are and how what you want to accomplish, and doing that self reflection. That's amazing. Also, big fan of the anthem. Uh, there was a conference I went to two years ago. And she did the Mel Robbins, the countdown from five, five, four, three, two, one. And Mm -hmm. we play uh, Malcolm, Malcolm, yeah. Um, And it was just like a pop-up music. Everyone would dance for like 30 seconds. And then we go back into the conference. So (laughs) I imagine that's maybe what you did with your anthem. You like did a little dance and you're like, yeah, I got this.
1: Absolutely, dance around the house, like you know. Hey, all right, it's okay. I got this. I'm doing me. It's it's all good. And so uh, it was such a it was such an um, helpful point uh, mm-hmm. and helpful thing for me to bring into that uh, that
0: evolution that I was in. So yeah, and then all this crazy diverse experience that you have too. So when you reached out, you talked about stress free leadership.
1: Mm-hmm. What
0: specifically led you to that topic? And why did you become passionate about it?
1: So as I think back on um, those higher level executive roles that I held chief nursing officer, hospital CEO, those are very stressful roles. I recall not really ever feeling like I could go on vacation Mm -hmm. and be free to really enjoy myself. Um, In fact, I recall going on vacation uh, one time and we went out, we were at the hotel getting dressed. We're going to go out and see the site for the day. And we go out to see our sites and I li- leave my cell phone back at the hotel. Well, I was in a near panic. <laughs> I was thinking I could not be anywhere without my cell phone. The hospital could call, something could happen. And so it ended up being this whole big th- deal, but it was one of those things that really stuck with me as I thought about, gosh, I accepted a tremendous amount of stress when I held those roles. And I think I did so because I didn't know there was another way. I thought that was... What it was supposed to be, your inner leadership role, of course, it's going to be super stressful, and you should just deal with that. And if you can't deal with it, then something's wrong with you. and And as I sort of emerged out of that and began to develop my executive uh, career further in terms of coaching, and that included, of course, educating myself and really beginning to understand concepts like emotional intelligence and stress management and all of those things, Then I became really passionate and I said, wait a minute, we actually don't have to accept this level of stress just because we're leaders. We have the opportunity to define how um, we're going to structure our work life, how we're going to teach people to treat us, and how we're going to treat others and set those expectations so that we don't have to carry that level of stress. I miss so many of my son's basketball games and football games. I felt like a terrible mom. Mm -hmm. And I don't really want any leader to have to feel um, that way again.
0: I completely understand what you're talking about. And yes, it's true. You do feel like as a leader, you just accept the stress level that that's what it is. I uh, remember when I, I was a leader for a team of about 20 some folks. And for six months, I worked 13 to 15 hour workdays, or felt like that. At least there were days I worked longer and I didn't get sleep. I ate fast food. It mm-hmm. was, I learned a lot about myself and about how to be a leader, but I also think I deteriorated my body to the point where those few months might cost me a few years in the future. So I've always said to myself, I will never let myself fall down that rabbit hole cuz that's not the kind of life I ever want to live again. Um yeah. so everyone's probably asking, okay, so I'm in this situation now or I'm scared I'm going to end up in this situation in the future. What first steps would you recommend to them?
1: Yeah, so when I think about leadership and stress, um, and a part of what I do is I take, try to take concepts and make them really simple to apply to our lives. Well, the first thing is when I coach uh, my clients, I use a platform of emotional intelligence. And there's a, a method that I develop that I teach that's really simple. But specifically around stress, what I've developed is I, I teach uh, leaders the five C's and I call it the five C's to stress free. And uh, and I'll go through those Cs pretty quickly because I'm in hopes that uh, what my ultimate passion and purpose is, which is to help leaders. So if you are in a leadership role and you find yourself with that type of stress, I want you to go through the five Cs. The first C is clarity. And by clarity, I mean, um just sort of almost as if, the, uh, almost similar to the exercise that I went through for myself. Who are you? Who do you want to be? Had I done that exercise before I got into my executive roles, I think that would have looked very different, but I didn't, and I didn't really understand that. So for me now, when I'm working with leaders, I say, let's get clear on who you are. How does showing up as a mom, how does that fit into your life and your work? Let's get really clear about that. Let's get clear about where you are now. And also let's get clear about where you want to go and who you want to be. So that's the first C. And the five C's to stress-free. Next, we go to confidence, and the reason this is next, Sarah, is because I don't think I've really ever had a conversation with a leader where the confidence didn't show up. Mm-hmm. Might be masks. Most most leaders, especially uh, leaders that are at a high level, feel like they're pretty confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I say to a leader, I want you to go into your um, your leadership team's office tomorrow and I want you to say, okay, so from here forward, um, I am really committed to this team just as I always have been. Um, however, I want to do some things a little bit differently to take care of me. Most leaders shy away from that. Interesting. Yeah. And what that tells me is there is a confidence issue in terms of being able to really project forward who you are instead of just responding and reacting to who people think you are or who they expect you to be. So getting that confidence up is really really important cuz confidence is situational. You can have confidence in one area, but when it comes to another area, all of a sudden feel like I'm mm-hmm. not doing that, right? I'm not right. I'm not ready. Like I have confidence in terms of I can coach any leader. I feel like I can almost operationalize anything. But yet, if you take me up into an airplane and say, you know, we're going to go for a jump, well, all of a sudden, I'm not so confident. (laughs) And so confidence is definitely situational. Mm -hmm. Then we move to the third C, which is choices. Once we get your confidence up a bit and we really get you stepping into the understanding of who you are and what you want Then I go to, okay, so let's look at the choices that you're making. Because some of what happens to us is absolutely because of those choices that we make, right? I made a choice to work late as opposed to going to the baseball game. Now, I did that. I thought I had a good reason for doing that. And this is not about judgment. It doesn't matter what your reason is. And I assume if you're making the reason, it's valid. The only question is, is that the choice that you're going to continue to make? And if not, then how can we set you up and position you to help you make better choices and and better only in terms of it supporting your vision and your goal? Because at the end of the day, in my world, that's really all that matters. We don't want to set you up to meet anyone else's expectations. We want to get you um, really feeling good about meeting your own expectations. The fourth C is communication. And in this C, it's really about understanding two types of communication that will make or break this process in terms of you moving to be stress-free. There's internal communication and there's external communication. So the internal communication comes first. And the work that I do with leaders is really about checking your internal dialogue what's that inner voice telling you and silencing any chatter that doesn't support the clarity and the goal that you just established. Mm -hmm. So if the goal, if the communication internally is, well, you're not going to be good enough. People are going to think that you're not pulling your weight. Um, this is the way you should do it. You're you're not capable. You're weak. People are going to look. All of that types of noise, which actually happens probably greater than 80% of the time in our own heads, mm-hmm. we've got to manage. And we've got to get that voice under control so that we can really begin to shift that communication internally to support us. Then the external communication comes next. Because once you really get that internal communication under control, then we're going to want to make sure that you are communicating your who you are, your values, your beliefs, what's important to you, not only about being an, an executive or a professional, but also in your personal life. We've got to communicate that externally. It's really difficult for people to respect boundaries that we have not set. And so we have to set those boundaries. You've got to say, listen, I understand I have a cell phone, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be responding to texts at 10 p.m., Mm -hmm. right? If it's urgent, if it's critical, pick up the phone and call me. Otherwise, I will respond in the morning. And that doesn't have to be confrontational. That doesn't have to be done in a mean way. So all of that is about your external communication. Finally, the fifth C is inconsistency. Are you truly committed to this journey? Because I will tell you that that little inner voice is going to come back. Your confidence is going to waver when someone is looking at you and when you decide that you're leaving the office by 6 p.m. so that you can go home and spend quality time with your family and all of a sudden you feel like someone is probably wondering why you're leaving quote early, right? So Mm -hmm. you've got to be committed to this journey. You've got to be consistent and following your own expectations. It does no good for you to establish boundaries, only for you yourself to cross those boundaries, right? Because all you've done is taught uh, everyone that those boundaries are really um, not very true. They're not Mm -hmm. tested, they're not tried and they're not true. So those are the five C's to stress free. The first one is clarity. The second one is confidence. The third one is choices. The fourth one is communication. And then finally, it's your commitment and your consistency to the process.
0: That is awesome. I'm actually writing them down right now because that is a great way to really remember who you are, why you're doing it and Mm -hmm. why it's important. So let's say that I was a client of yours Mm -hmm. and I came to you, and I was just saying how stressed I was. I don't have any work life balance. I feel like I'm just running all the time. My e- email inbox is never at zero. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to me? Well, the first
1: advice I would give to you, and probably I wouldn't give you any quite yet until Mm -hmm. I did a little bit deeper dive. Completely understand. Yeah. Right. Because the work that I do is really based on understanding you and where you want to go. So that's the first thing I'm going to do. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to understand you and I'm going to say, tell me more. And then here's what I'm going to do next. I'm going to get you to dream with me. Mm -hmm. This is one of the most uh, fun parts of my conversations with clients. I get them to dream with me. Pretend you've got a blank paint canvas and I want you to imagine your life the way that you want it to be. So we do some dreaming and then based on that dreaming, then I back into the advice and I say, okay. So just off the top, based on what you shared to me uh, with me that are your challenges, based on where you want to go, here's what I would recommend. And it's likely going to be navigating through those five C's because um, the first one and getting that clarity, and then the third one and coming up choices, if you just start there, you can make significant progress. Now, people say, okay, I did this, I started it, but then I fell off the wagon, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why And that's why they hire me because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to keep you accountable and I'm going to do it with compassion and love, but I am not here to play kumbaya with you. I, I want to get you to your stress-free goals mm-hmm. and be a stress-free leader in the midst of the most chaotic times because stress, and I want, I want your uh, listeners to really hear this, stress is an inside game. Mm-hmm. Stress is an inside game. And even when there's stress on the outside, if it's really stressing you out, that means you have allowed those external stressors to pierce your veil, right? To get through. And then we need to work on shoring that up and then helping you get clarity and make those choices and then follow through consistently as you're meeting with me. I am a big proponent of tweaking and fine tuning the process. You might go, that's just really not working for me, Ron, (laughs) can we do something else? (laughs) And I think that that's perfectly okay, but that's really the approach that I take with leaders.
0: Okay, so do you have an example or a story of somebody who you've worked with that you're able to share of how they went from a stressed work balance, didn't go anywhere, didn't know what they wanted to. Now they're really happy with where they're at and uh, kind of talking about what they ended up changing.
1: Absolutely. So uh, so I'll give you one of my favorite clients who um, was, uh, is a photographer running his own studio and Uh, that whole thing and just really had no greatest person in the world so open you could call him at 10 p.m he would answer the phone (laughs) he was at the office still I'd call him it'd be nine o'clock he just still at the office going oh yeah I'm wrapping up soon and so he said to me I need you to coach me because I can't like I'm having home issues (laughs) <laughs> he, he, was, he, he said, I'm having home issues and I don't know what else to do. And so I said, okay, so tell me what's going on. And I said, I know a little bit about you. So I think I have an idea, but just to get there. And so I said to him, what is it you really want? And he said, well, I want to have My business. I want that to be strong. And I also want to be able to spend time with my wife and we need to have our time together and I need to try to honor some of what she's asking of me. And so we worked out a plan. We came up with a strategy and we said, "Okay, here's when you're going to start in the morning. Here's what I want you to do during the day. We set up a system where folks had to start making an appointment to see him and to meet him Mm -hmm. and to not just pick up the phone and have him answer all willy nilly, all hours of the day or night. Um, And then we set in the evening time, a time for him to leave uh, the office, which was probably the hardest thing for him to do. And we did not get him 100% of the way there, but four nights a week we got him there, which was Mm -hmm. a huge win for him. Mm -hmm. And his wife was super happy uh, with that. And he said to me, he said, Rhonda, coach Rhonda, don't ever leave me. (laughs) He said, when I talk to you, I feel like I could fly. And and, and it was really about reminding him of his why, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy when um, When your wife is not in front of you or your spouse or your children, it's easy to get swept up in this other world. But one of the things that I help my clients do is reconnect with their why. That has to be your source of motivation and your driver. And then we just work together to structure the systems and processes around them uh, so that it works. The other thing that I do with my clients is I do some coaching on how to leverage emotional intelligence in some different other skills. skills and tools and resources uh, to really help support them on this journey to be stress-free.
0: Yes. I like that he was home in a good time, four nights a week. It's not required five nights a week or even seven nights a week if necessary, but there's a good, at least medium or step that he's taking to work to the goal that he wants.
1: You know, I really appreciate you um, recognizing that, Sarah, because what I have learned is when I first started out on this journey, the goal was perfection, right? Mm-hmm. Just because we, we're we like, oh, it's yes. always perfection. <laughs> it's going to be great. And here's what you're going to do. But I have learned that my perfection is not for me to push on my clients, right? It is up to me to get to what feels comfortable for them. And if four nights a week or three nights a week, is where they want to begin. That's my goal. One of the things that I really try to do to help keep my focus with my clients is we choose a goal at the very beginning of working together. Mm -hmm. I say, if by the end of working with me, what's the top two things that you absolutely want to have accomplished? That gives us a target. That gives us a place to focus. And then that's what what we do as we develop our work together.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. So is there a common obstacle that you see with leaders that they usually need to overcome?
1: You know, it's interesting. It's such a great question. One of the common obstacles that um, I see for leaders is overcoming the fear of judgment, Mm -hmm. right? There's this expectation, um, or at least we believe that people expect things of us where I have actually come to find that we teach people how to treat us and then that's what they expect, So if you change the expectation, then there's not really so much judgment because everyone gets it. If you say to your team, hey, I won't be answering calls or emails after 7 p.m. If you need me, pick up the phone and call me. Otherwise, I'll respond first thing in the morning. When you set that expectation, it does two things. Not only does it free you to be able to move on and enjoy your life and your family, but it also says to your team that it's okay as long as you as the leader are responding at nine, 10 o'clock at night, they're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then they feel like you don't care about them. um, And you don't care about their work life balance. It's a really interesting statistic, where um, most uh, staff in an organization will say that they don't believe that their uh, leaders um, care about their work life balance, right? Mm -hmm. Nearly 60% say they don't believe that their organizations care about their work-life balance. Well, why do we believe that, right? It's because of how we're reacting. We're trying to be efficient and effective and productive and all of those things mm-hmm. but what we're teaching our teams is your work life balance doesn't matter and the most important thing is timely response and uh and that has people feeling uncared for.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, and then they go from it's now email if the email's not answered quick enough it's an instant message if the instant message isn't answered quick enough it's the text. If it, the text isn't answered it, then it's a call. It's like it escalates and it might not even be an, a crazy, urgent matter.
1: Absolutely. It's it's the microwave society, right? <laughs> we are used to that instant gratification. We want it and we want it now. I can't tell you how many times I've received an email only to be walking up the hall and somebody will go, hey, did you get my email? And I'll say, oh, I'm sorry. I When did you send it? And I'll say, a few minutes ago. And I'm like, <laughs> um, no, <laughs> like, I'm busy doing other and so, and I think that's what, why there's so much leader burnout, mm-hmm. right? So what's burnout? It's really just an accumulation and a nonstop building and building and building of those stressors um, without having the opportunity to replenish. 75% of leaders say that their primary source of stress is work. Mm-hmm. And those are real challenges and those are real numbers, but it's not just that it's stressful. Um, Sarah, it's damaging. It's it's physically damaging. It's emotionally damaging. Yes. You know, and those are the places where we have to say, we don't have to live like this as leaders. And let me be clear about, I will be a hundred percent in, I will give it all I have. And when I am here, I am all in, but let me share with you what my boundaries are. I will take a lunch break. I will not mm-hmm. eat at my desk. I will walk around the building for five minutes, right? You have to establish that. And then everyone else respects it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's oh, taking a lunch. Everyone take a lunch. <laughs> like Especially now for those that are working remotely, get away from your desk. Look, I mean, even look at a different screen, like watch 30 minutes of TV, just do something for yourself for at least 30 minutes. You brought up email and it's so funny because I have two stories about that. One is we had a leader of an organization who sent out emails, he would catch up on email at night, but he was afraid of his employees answering the emails at night. So he would time them so they would go out at 5 a.m. But what happened was everyone would get their emails at 5 a.m. and they would be just completely slammed with a bunch of emails from their boss. <laughs> so it was one of those things where I learned that that will never work. So that was just a funny thing that I learned over the course of my career. And then I'm trying to remember the other story now. (laughs) I
1: love the first one, though. I mean, it was something that it it felt like it was well-intentioned.
0: Right. It was so it was so (laughs) dear and dear. And they were just like, no, and all everyone hated it. Everybody hated it because they knew at 5 a.m. They're like, my inbox is going to fill up with all the emails he caught up on last night. And it's just, it didn't work. Um, I don't know if he ever got feedback from his employees saying that we shouldn't do that, but just feedback for everyone else. It doesn't work, but I'll think on that other story.
1: Yeah, sure. Let me share one with you while you're you're thinking of your other story. So. Um, when I was the chief nursing officer, I had a leader at our regional office who was responsible for looking at labor. And they would look at labor hours every week or every day. And they could tell if we had gone over budget the day before. Mm-hmm. And every morning I would come in, there would be these this email. It wasn't even that it was after hours. It just wasn't a, a carefully written email. It was kind of like, hey, noticed your labor numbers were over targeted. It yesterday, plain <laughs> explanation point, right? And and so I mean, I barely got in and had a cup of coffee, right? And mm-hmm. and I'm getting this email. So what I started doing. Is I started not res- looking at his email. I wouldn't mm-hmm. even look at it. I'm like, I'm going to get in. I'm going to get settled. I'm going to have my coffee. I'm going to get figure out my day. And then I will look at his email mm-hmm. and respond. See, these are the types of things that we do to each other and we don't even recognize it. And because feedback is a whole nother story, it's right. a whole nother podcast show. Right. Um, but because we don't really get or, or, even ask for feedback often enough as leaders, um, then we sometimes never hear the impact that we have on our team.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. And email is all consuming. It mm-hmm. is, or it can be all consuming unless you learn to manage it well. So the other email story was actually a tip that I learned from a friend. I think, um, I put read receipts on my emails when I want to make sure that the other person's read them. Mm -hmm. So I give them 12 hours to read if it is exceptionally important longer, if it's not. And then as soon as I get the read receipt, I know that they got it Mm -hmm. and opened it. Now, if they read and comprehended it, I'm not sure, but Mm -hmm. at least I know they opened it and it's in their inbox. So Mm -hmm. that usually gave me a little bit of peace of mind when I got the read receipt that they got it. So when somebody came up to you and asked that question of, well, did you get my email five minutes after you sent it? If they had added a read receipt, they would at least know that it was to you and that you were hadn't gotten a chance to read it. There's a read receipt and then there's the delivery receipt. So you can do both. One, pick whatever one, it brings you the most anxiety, I guess. <laughs>
1: absolutely great tip it's a great tip and it's these little things that we can do if you have personally email anxiety and you need to know when folks have read the email or even sometimes there really are important things happening and I don't need a response but I want to feel like um okay so it reminds me of a relay race right and Mm -hmm. you're gonna hand off to the next person I don't need to worry about your time because I can't do anything about that I just need to hand off the baton properly. And that way I know that, okay, she's got it and we're good. And I can move on and cross this off my list, knowing, you know, that I have trust in her. I'm not going to micromanage her. I'll follow mm-hmm. up later or whatever. And so I think that's a really great tip.
0: Right. Right. So as we're talking about all of this information and great advice and guidance, what is something that you wish you would have learned or realized earlier on in your career?
1: Wow, that's a great question. I think I wish I would have learned earlier in my career not to try to do it all,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? There's there's this tendency to have, um, at least for me personally, to have this cape on because if I didn't, I would feel inadequate or like I wasn't doing the best that I could for my team or I wasn't the, the most effective leader if I couldn't do it all. Mm-hmm. And now when I look back on that, I know that that was really all coming from inside of me. And at any point, I probably could have managed that so much differently. and, and I wish I had learned that I don't have to do it all. And even and, and the other one, even though you asked for one, but the second <laughs> go one for it. Is, I don't have to be perfect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: right? I don't have to do it all and I don't have to be perfect. I can make a mistake and I can own that and step into it. I can rely on my team for whatever I don't know because they are amazing individuals that can support me. I don't have to be there all the time and, and, and get everything just right. And sometimes not getting it right is an opportunity in and of itself that you learn so much from that, that it only helps the finished product be better. So I think those are the two that come to mind for me.
0: hmm It is. It's very hard to not feel like there's external pressure for you to one, be perfect and to do it all. I think I almost feel like those are combined in a way, because if you do it all, you are perfect. Um, but it's just one of those things where you're like, I need to do exceptional on it. I'm type A. I, I don't know if you're type A. Mm-hmm. I assume you are. Yeah. Um, but I need to do everything, be very hands-on, especially in the beginning. So it's just it's a complete mind shift. And it's one that I think is happening more and more in recent, like especially in the past five years. I've heard this more and more like work isn't your entire life. Make sure you have a work-life balance, which is now turning into a work-life integration or harmony. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting mindset shift. I think it's greatly appreciated, especially as a lot of people are working remotely. Um, And it's almost a uh, like stress off my shoulders. And I'm sure others are feeling it too, to know that Yes, I have a job. I do want to do a really good job, but I don't have to be perfect and I want to make sure I have life outside of work. Oh my god! So gosh. with all yeah, of this combined, it's like a new complete movement in my opinion.
1: No, I agree that's so important and I think we're coming to that realization that you are not your work. Mhm you are not you know your your job or your role you are a complex person made up of many many parts and you're probably a son daughter mother father sister, brother, you know many many things you might be an artist or have some hobbies that you enjoy um, and so you are many many things and so to understand that we don't have to be that one thing um, I think is really important you know as an organization as organizations look at this, I'm not sure why they're not moving faster on this because the estimate is that. US businesses lose up to 300 billion with a B dollars a year based on workplace stress. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible number. And it's because when you get burned out, then you have to call out, then you're using the EAP line services. And mm-hmm. you know, there's all of these sort of things that happen when we don't care for our people and when we don't care for ourselves. So the reason I like to start with leaders being stress-free is because ultimately mm-hmm. you can own stress or not. You can, it's all information and you don't have to take it in. But the secondary part of my work and my, the paradigm shift that I want to get and and work with organizations on is creating a stress-free culture. And what does that mean? That means looking at our systems and processes that generate extra stress on our (laughs) leaders for no darn reason. Oh my gosh. There's
0: always this, always.
1: Yes. I mean, but we can fix it. Um, We have to help organizations see the ROI in that. Mm -hmm. And oddly enough, there is one. In fact, there are multiples. And so, you know, one of these days, Sarah, you might be out, you might see me sort of standing on a rooftop with a bullhorn going, listen (laughs) up, organizations. I need you all to create more stress-free cultures, allow your leaders to thrive, take that stress off of them and watch them soar.
0: Mm -hmm. It's funny that you talk about organizations as a whole too, because I'm in the Air Force Reserve and I am what they call an IMA, which is an individualized, individual mobilized augmentee. It's definitely a mouthful. And I go and support active duty units in my job. But because of that, the active duty units tend to focus on their own people. So they focus on the people that are there every day. Me, I go in once a year, maybe, um, maybe a little bit more. But that means I do most of my paperwork myself. Mm -hmm. The websites that we still have to use, they're fixed a lot, but we still have to use are, I swear, a high schooler could code something better at this point. And it is, I can't tell you how many times I have just been in front of my computer to the point of, I was so frustrated at one of the programs. I threw my mouse down because I couldn't figure out where to click and it clicked in the spot I needed to (laughs) and it fixed it. So that is how crazy the system is the leader that's in charge right now, she's amazing. And she's like, why are we putting this amount of stress on our people when we want them to stay in the military? Like we Mm -hmm. want them to stay and yet they're getting out because of paperwork. And so she has, I mean, it has come so far in like two years that she's been in command and we still have strides to go, but it's, I appreciate that she's taking the initiative and really making it a priority because I feel taken care of. I know I'm actually getting stuff done quicker. I'm actually getting paid quicker, which makes me feel appreciated. So Mm. that's just a great example of how removing stress from your employees and seeing where the process holdups are can progress so much good in a job like an organization as a whole. It's so interesting how all of that is very intertwined.
1: Wow, what a great example and Good for her because, you know, in the military, there are such structures and red tape that, you know, this cannot be an easy uh, thing for her to tackle, but she's committed to it and already making a difference. And that's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. I think the fear many organizations have with transitioning to what I call a stress-free culture is it gives this image that everyone's going to be sitting back in the office with their feet up on their desk, (laughs) right? Nobody's working hard. We don't have any stress. We're all just sort of chilling at the coffee pots or whatever. And um, and I think that that's sort of a fallacy that we have to move past because um, our lead, we are so hard on our leaders. And sometimes we lose really, really great leaders and we don't have to. We don't have to burn them out. You know, they could continue to be contributing to the organization, um, but we have to be able to take an honest look. And that goes back to what we mentioned earlier is feedback. Mm -hmm. right? As a team, what kind of feedback are you getting? And then are you making change that matters? You know, if you get, you know, feedback that says, you know, hey, we're all really stressed because we don't have enough staff. And then you also get feedback that says it would be nice to have more paper clips, but you buy the paper clips and you don't address the staff. Well, you know, you're you're still going to be in the same position because those big sort of places where you can make significant uh, difference for your team have not been addressed. And so, um, I would say this though: I think teams should know that it doesn't always have to be super expensive; doesn't have to result in more staff. Sometimes, just by simply changing some of your internal processes and procedures, can make all of the difference. Resetting expectations stating those expectations, right? Letting everyone know that you value their life and, you know, and you want them to have a life outside of work so that they can refill their buckets and come back to work fully charged. Um, All of those things make a huge difference. Mm
0: -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Well, um, it has been so fun and interesting to talk to you. And I'm so glad we got to talk about something as important as stress in a workplace and as a leader. On our closing question, I would love to hear what is a a book that you would recommend to the audience?
1: So honestly, I would recommend that everyone read, uh, if you have not read it, Daniel Goldman's Emotional Intelligence book, Mm -hmm. because that book um, is so powerful when you truly begin to understand. And a lot of the concepts that we're talking about, about the individual actions that leaders can take. Um, you can see them sort of interwoven in between the work of emotional intelligence. It gets very conceptual, and so I think people get lost in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just understanding the foundational concepts so that you can see where you can stand on your power. I say emotional intelligence is the thing that helps you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. Mm -hmm. more of what you want and less of what you don't. So I highly encourage every leader um, to listen or read that book or do it on audio while you're running on a treadmill or what have you. Um, But it really, really is very, I think, impactful and you can apply it directly to your career.
0: That's awesome. And completely agree. Emotional intelligence is so important. Well, thank you so much, Rhonda, for coming on the show. It's been a blast.
1: Absolutely, Sarah. It's been a pleasure and so, so fun talking with you. You even reminded me of my old anthem. I think I'm actually
0: going to have to pull it up and sing the song. <laughs> Break it out for some fun dancing times right after this. <laughs> well, Thanks again. Thank
1: you for having me on this podcast. And thank you for the amazing uh, way that you allow us to bring our voices forward and to share our story.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Lead Into It. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help future listeners. If you want to learn more about the podcast or me, go to leadintoit.co. That's leadintoit.co. Thanks again.